everyone, and welcome to Molly Movie Club. I'm Casey Muratori. And I'm Anna Retberg. And today's movie, in our bleak future series, is Children of Men, a science fiction story about a future where men have children. And it's kind of a gender reversal. <laughs> um, and then, in a surprising twist in the movie, it turns out that a woman can actually have a child. And that is the sort of linchpin of the plot of this science fiction film. That's not right at all. Um, I well, it, 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 that's here's the thing. I've watched this movie probably four times now. Yeah. And I have absolutely no idea how to interpret the title. I can come up with, I have a tortured theory of why it's called that, but I actually like without reading the book, because my understanding is this comes from a book. Without reading the book, I simply don't know what they actually mean by the title. Would men just mean humanity? But you wouldn't really call it children of men if you meant humanity. You'd say children of man. So when you say children of men, you're referring specifically to males. Hmm. And so what you're basically trying to say is, like, we're talking about children. These children are are of or from the men. They are, they are by the men or in some way the men are responsible for the children. And so the only way I can really interpret that title is that they're basically saying that like, although a woman is the one having the child in the movie, it is the men who are deciding whether or not that baby actually gets born or raised or how it does. So that's how I choose to interpret the title, but that's the best I can do because it doesn't, the title doesn't naturally fit the movie in an obvious way. That's just the only way I was able to actually make it work. I've thought about this a lot and I, I simply I, don't know. I don't know. I haven't thought about it but, at all. Okay. Um, but that was the best I could do. And so if someone has a better way to interpret Children of Men, I'd love to hear it, movie club folks. Well, to talk about the movie itself, I feel like this is one of my favorite bleak future movies because mm. I think of all the bleak future movies that we have watched, this one is by far the most terrifying for me because first of all, the pro once again, I feel like this month has been production design like on point yeah, month. Yeah. yeah, yeah. This movie is incredibly well done in terms of production design. Like mm -hmm. it this world feels so real. Yes. Um like you are absorbed, at least I am. I'm completely absorbed in this world. Yeah. And it's a very scary world. I think it's it shares with Mad Max Fury Road, I feel like it shares a, the tangibility, meaning it's like it feels very much like you're watching a real thing. Yes. You, you don't notice CG happening. You don't notice special effects happening. You kind of just feel like you're watching something that's actually unfolding. But unlike Mad Max, the world they're depicting is basically just the current world with some slight modifications. So like unlike Mad Max, where you can't really exactly imagine yourself getting there because it's so far from your daily existence. In Children of Men, it's just a slight it's just like taking our current world and turning it to 11. It doesn't really do anything far-fetched right which is what makes it so frightening um because it's like not that hard to imagine our world sort of descending into a place this bad and yeah. that's why that's why it's so frightening and they've done such an amazing job depicting that world um all the details and the environment i think one of the things i like about it is there's no object or anything in this movie except maybe things that are supposed to be artifacts from our world like photos and older things but Nothing 
feels quite the same. Like all the the cars look a little bit right different. And like I love all those subtle changes where it's like it doesn't just feel like today's world made dirtier or something. It's like you can feel that it has stepped slightly into the future. Yes. Um, and I feel like that is really, really well done as well. And they, they managed to step it into the future in ways that feel like fairly reasonable with technology we have. Like the kid playing on his little device with, yeah. the, with the finger things and the, you know, uh, ads on buses and stuff being LCDs instead of stationary and things like that. But most of the thing, like in general, there's almost no technological advances. Like everything else is just kind of, you could build it today. I mean, even those things you could build today, we just don't mass market them currently, but they're not fanciful, right? Uh, they're, they're, they're devices we could build. We just don't because they're not economically interesting at the moment or something. Well, it also makes sense because in, in the context of this world, like, Things have started to collapse 18 years ago. Well, I guess, what did they say the youngest person was when he died? Like 16 or 17? Or... Yeah, yeah. So it's like the world has been sort of collapsing now for 20-ish years. Yeah. And so it makes sense that technology will have halted progressing at that point. Because the whole movie is sort of about that that hopelessness. Like a world in which there are no children quickly descends into this sort of like bleak hopelessness because humanity has no future. Well, also, the rate of technological progress is not high, even when people think it is. Sure, yeah. If you take a look at the world that, you know, uh, I was born into in the 1970s, and you take a look at the world today, and you ask someone, like, what's the difference? Like, you would see almost nothing. Like, it's basically that people have little uh, cell phones Mm -hmm. in their pockets that are these kind of, like, you know, very impressive screens that we wouldn't that you wouldn't have seen back then because you think a screen is a cathode ray tube. So that would be mostly what you'd see, but otherwise even things that w- took oh, quite some time and are still happening now like electric cars just look like cars. Exactly. They just look like cars around so the cars are a bit smoother, but really we didn't get anything else. Like it's there there aren't there aren't flying cars, there aren't moving people walkways, there aren't teleporters, there aren't magic screens that float in the air or holograms. We have none of those things in 40 years, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think this movie also kind of understands the fact that, like, there isn't going to be very much technological progress. There'll be some little device things like that, or we have more mass production of something that we have today, like those LCD screens that we're, you know, plastering on buses or whatever. But there really isn't going to be a whole hell of a lot in the future unless you're talking hundreds of years, right? You you have to go, like, real, real far Mm -hmm. or across some massive leap, like, from not having the steam engine to having it or something like that. You have to, you have to really go far before the person's average ordinary life actually looks any different. And I think this movie did a great job of just going like, yep, it's just today with a couple of tweaks. Yeah. And I also think this movie, it's sort of a, it's honestly probably the best dystopia movie that I am aware of in terms of like a 1984 style place. Like this, this feels like a very scary, oppressive place to be. Yeah. Um, like the the like the government oppression is like very clear at all times and it, it feels like a very scary place even like in the first part where you're aware that things are very unstable right like right off the bat you start off with like a, a terrorist explosion in the coffee shop he's at right yep and you can just look at looking at this world you can see that things are falling apart uh like i, I think one of the nice things about all these video screens everywhere which does feel even though it's like used for exposition a lot i think it feels very natural because 
our world does have video, even today has video screens everywhere and ads everywhere. And I think that's really effective. It's a really great way of using the environment and the world to communicate stuff that's like useful to know. Like you see ads for the suicide pill. You see things saying it's like illegal to avoid fertility tests. Um, and so I, I love all the, I mean, it's not like they're subtle, right? The, the clues in the environment are very, very obvious. But I think they're also really effective. I would say that the the other thing I like about this movie in the bleak future front is that it's it's doing bleak future as it's depicting a bleak side of humanity. It is not depicting a bleak set of people and blaming them, which I really mm-hmm. liked about this film because a lot of times bleak future things are really myopic poorly educated takes on X is bad. So the reason the future is bad is because of this one set of beliefs or this one set of people, which is really, not only is it boring, but it's also, like I said, just feels uneducated. It feels like someone writing about something they don't really understand. And what I really liked about this movie's fiction is that it's not suggesting that there's a particular thing that is wrong with humanity singularly. Like, if we were just all socialist, or if we were just all capitalist, or if we were just all, you know, this or that, it would be fine. But these horrible X don't, you know, and then it's bad, right? Or something. Yeah. This movie's like, no, the problem is that the bad elements of humanity have taken over, and they've taken over everywhere. The government is not good. The poor people are not good. The rich people are not good. The rebels are not good. Nobody is good except some few individuals who occasionally find their humanity in this film and connect with something less self-destructive. And I feel like that's a very compelling version of a bleak future as well. So in addition to those things where they're not trying to make the future overly futuristic, they also aren't being... I don't feel it doesn't feel as propagandistic mm-hmm. as other things do. It does have a few parts that are feel kind of clumsily written that that I feel like make that less effective. But if you just look at the plot and, you know, maybe the credit goes to the book here because maybe it developed this richness more. Nobody involved is good. They're all just kind of bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like that's a nice that's a nice way to explain the bleak future is it's when people are acting badly and it doesn't really matter what your ideology is. It's like, it's that decision to not do the right thing. That's actually the problem. Not because you were X or Y. Well, and I think it's also, it's sort of, this movie has the most plausible explanation for why humanity would, would kind of turn to its worst instincts, which is hopelessness. Yeah. Why bother? Because it's like, I think we take for granted that the future is just going to happen Right. And in this world, the future is not going to happen. Like in a hundred years, humanity will just be gone. I mean, Theo has a great when he's talking to his the art guy, was it he was his relative, uh, who basically manages like the art side of things. And it was that's actually such an interesting part of the movie because it's so brief. Yeah. But we get to see that there's still this like little slice of humanity yeah. that's living fine. Yeah. Um and that's really interesting. And it's just brief. Like, we never see... It's never really explored beyond that. But at one point in their conversation, because Theo basically mentions, like, what, like none of this is going to matter. Like, it, no one will be here to see this art. It's like, you know, honestly, I just don't think about it. Yeah. 
I think in order for it's like almost like the in order to continue living the way that people used to live in this world, you have to not think about it. And none of these people in that area, right, where the things are, quote unquote, like still pretty good. None of them are thinking about it. (laughs) But all the other people like can't not think about it. Right. Um, Well, and he's the he's one of the only people in the movie who does something nice. He gets the transit papers for no reason. He doesn't have to do it, and he puts himself at risk. It's it's kind of this is why I say it. It feels very plausible. It mm-hmm. feels like real people doing real things, and it and at least the plot doesn't get bogged down in propagandizing or uh, sermonizing things you should or shouldn't do to end up in this future. It's like no, this is just who humans are, and if you stop having babies, they would probably all just turn to their selfish instincts or go crazy or everything else because. You know, like you said, why bother? Why? Why? What is the point? The weirdest part about the movie, to be completely honest, is that you have rebel groups because what are they fighting for? Like a few years? Like it's hard to imagine. You know, when when I think of someone like you know a a sort of a overthrow the government style revolutionary thinking, you know, uh, your Fidel Castro's or something. Somehow in my mind, I just don't imagine them being as motivated or persuasive at what they were doing if they didn't think that, you know, there would be a Cuba in 40 years. Right. And so, you know, but I'm willing to go with it. It's just it feels that's the only part to me that was kind of like, yeah, well, maybe they would be. I don't know. I think the movie's perspective on that is for for like for humanity we will just find reasons to fight with each other. It could be, yeah. Could because, be. I mean, I think the one of the most powerful scenes in the movie is basically just saying that. It's the very last, one of the very last scenes. When they're leaving, they're, there's this, basically the government is attacking the, the camp, the yeah. immigrant camp, right? And so they're basically at war with each other. And there's this brief moment where it all stops when they're walking down with the baby and everyone's like in awe and looking at this baby. And then this, the moment it breaks when a weapon fires down yeah. from the building and then the military turns and everybody's fighting again. And I feel like that's such a, that's sort of exactly what you're, like the movie's idea on what you're saying, which is I think that yeah. like at the end of the day, we're going to fight with each other. Yeah. And now, yeah, we have a reason for living and it didn't change anything. Like it didn't matter. Yeah. No, I mean that, that scene in particular is excellent. I was going to mention that one myself if you hadn't. Uh, as just being like a really good encapsulation of of that encapsulation, sorry, of what that is. I would say that in general, this movie finds a lot of good ways to do that. It it manages to take us to enough locations. It strings enough locations together through its kind of plot to show you a little bit of everything. Like, you know, dude living off the grid, you know, pothead living, living off the grid mm-hmm. guy, right? Yep. Artist. Um, and even like on the way there, you drive past like a field of burning cows. Yeah. Like every moment of this movie is used to help tell yeah. you about this world. And it's so it's so dense and it's so well done in that way. And like you've got the weird like Baby Diego mourners, even yeah. though Baby Diego is apparently a piece of shit. Which is a great. It's a great uh, idea. It makes perfect sense. It does. It, it's, it's exactly the pop star kind of thing. Right. Um, it's like, of course, he would be famous and there. Yep. Be, yep. Yeah. So, again, probably credit the book for this. I'm assuming that the book is probably pretty good and had a lot of good ideas in it. I don't know. P.D. James, I think, was credited with the book. But in general, I would say, yeah, all of that stuff comes across really well. 
And I would also say that I had a better experience watching it this time than in the theater. This is one of the few movies that I would really recommend not seeing in the theater <laughs> because at home, like the shaky cam is much less bad when you're watching it on a small screen and you have more context outside the screen that is not moving. I get a lot less motion sick watching this film in a theater a proper theater with a huge screen and you know really immersive experience this movie is vomit inducing it is so shaky cam that it is rough yeah i mean especially some of those oneers cuz like there are some shots where it's not shaky cam like when they're doing far back shots like they're following the car driving down the driveway mm-hmm. to michael kane's house it's pretty steady they have it i think on a mount of some kind mm-hmm. or something um, but in other cases where they're doing like these sort of trying to do these immersive shots, like the, the one where he's like driving down the road and they get mm-hmm. attacked by the guys and it's this cacophony thing. Yep. The camera is just violently moving around. And seriously, in a theater, it is vomit inducing. I, I hate that part of this movie. And thankfully, watching it on a small screen really, really helps. So if, if you tend to get motion sickness at all from shaky cam, do not see this in the theater first. See it on a small screen. Yeah, I mean, I think that choice is actually very effective for me throughout the movie. It makes it feel like you are on the ground there with these people. It, it yeah. It's a handheld, it feels like a documentary, like someone's running around with a camera with these people. I mean, at one point, well, blood splashes on the lens, right? Yes. Um, immersive is the name is the word for this movie. It feels like so tangible. I think that's part of what's giving it that feeling is it's not, the camera's not like a distant participant. It's like in there with the characters. Um, And I think it's really effective. But I agree, it's like, I I didn't have the motion sickness issue that you did, but like I can definitely see how people who are sensitive to it would have that problem. Yeah, it's just not, like at some point it gets too shaky cam, right? And it depends if you're sensitive to it or not. And and that's why I say like watch this on a small screen because I did not have the problem with a small screen. So I think it's just like this is not a movie to watch in a theater if you're at all sensitive (laughs) to that. This is one to actually, your home setup will be better no matter how good your theater is, don't do it mm-hmm. uh, because, yeah, it's pretty rough. But but it was fine uh, in this case, so that was nice. So uh, I would say some things about the movie I didn't like because I'm generally positive on it because I do think it's a really nice immersive experience, like you said. It feels, uh, honestly, it feels almost like a video game. Yeah. When you are yes, watching it, yes. it's the most video game movie I've ever seen, even though it doesn't come from a video game and isn't trying to be a video game. But because it likes to follow the main character around very closely, and because we see a lot of continuousness to the story, mm-hmm. there aren't a lot of jumps. At the beginning, there are a few, but once once it sort of the plot gets moving, really, we just kind of follow almost every action that the character is taking sneaking out of this farmhouse mm-hmm. and along a row of cars and opening them up and taking the keys. It feels like that sequence. It could just come right out of like, you know, a splinter cell yeah. or something like this yeah. video game. And so uh, it has that same kind of first person immersive feel, even though it is not even first person, it, it really does have that. And that's pretty cool. Like it's a pretty nice effect that they managed to achieve. Uh, Quaron, who is the director of this one, I think is just kind of good at that, mm-hmm. just abstractly. Like, he's not just good at it in this movie. I think he's just good at that overall. He kind of has this nice ability to 
make things feel visceral when you're following a character around. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he did Gravity as well. If you've seen that, right? That's him. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he just had has this knack for like, hey, there's like a very simple, straightforward sequence of events this character is going to do. But like we get you right in there and we make it feel tangible and exciting. Like something about an unbroken one with a handheld camera, it gives it this feeling that's that's so much more immersive. And in, in the case of a movie like this, like the tension is so high at all times. I find this movie to be like pretty heavy. Like it, this is one that afterwards you're like, you know, yeah. you're, it's kind of like you need to go watch something happy. Um, <laughs> I actually honestly think there's one thing. So I don't. I don't think this was the right choice at the end of the day because of how bleak the movie is. But there's a part of me, because the movie is sort of about, like, hope. Yeah. And there's a part of me that wishes that we never saw the boat come at the end. Because it's sort of, it's sort of asking the viewer to, like, what do you think? Like, yeah. are, you, are you a person who believes and has hope or are you not? I agree. I, but, ne- uh, but I've never time, liked the fact that they show the boat. But at the same time, I can also imagine, like, if that's how the movie ended... That, that would be that'd be rough. Like for most, for a lot of viewers, that would be really hard um, to not know that it worked out okay after everything that you've just seen. I mean, maybe, but I, yeah, I. But it's like it's definitely the more ballsy ending. <laughs> I agree. Like I feel like it's 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 a lot more of a of a brave choice but to I mean, not it, have that in there. And it's also because Theo's character, I really think his character is so interesting, um, because he ends up at the end believing right yes and at the beginning he wouldn't have no he's he explicitly says he thinks the human project is not real yeah i mean to to jasper he is a person who at the beginning has i wouldn't say i wouldn't say he's given up but he's very cynical i think in some ways he's a person who i mean he used to be an activist right um yeah and so he used to have maybe these strong but simplistic beliefs, kind of like what you were talking about, the yeah. kind of idea, the kind of worldview where people think about things very simply. Yeah. And I think he's at some point, you know, maybe, maybe after the death of his son or something, uh, kind of had the realization that that simple worldview just isn't how things work. Um, I think yeah. Jasper kind of explains it in that conversation where he's talking about chance versus belief, right? Which brings up something I didn't like. Okay. So uh, I guess... I'm not sure how to approach this part, but I guess I would say there's there's parts of the storytelling that I really like in this movie when they're doing them, and then there's other times that they just decide not to do them, and okay. I wish that they had just stuck with it. The things I really like about this movie are sort of the implicit storytelling. They do a ton of it, right? There's like a ton of implicit things. The fact that uh, Julian and... Uh, our main character Theo Theo know each other for example um and they like recognize you know each other in the van and all that stuff right uh you kind of know what's going on with them a little bit and they like he yells at her at uh, on the bus mm-hmm. you don't really know exactly what it's about you know it's like kind of like the death of their child or something but you don't know what happened to the child or why they really got mm-hmm. separated and things like that right that kind of storytelling is fantastic, and it really is what makes the movie work for me um, in terms of this, the actual story. We don't know why Theo has money problems. We see him at a dog racing track, so we can kind of go like, oh, maybe he's a gambler, right? So we get ideas about it, but it doesn't have a bunch of exposition that tells us that. Yeah. 
We see that Theo has a drinking problem, keeps alcohol in his jacket pocket. There's a great moment with that, too. Such a good moment. Where and at the end, he... Is so good. When she's having the baby, it's he, so good. he dumps it all out over his hands to sterilize One them. of my favorite it's, things about this film. It's it's a beautiful, beautiful moment. And it's, a, it's more subtle. It's like you wouldn't necessarily... If you weren't thinking sort of like character or thematic about it, you may not even think about it. But yeah, it's like that's a huge moment. I loved that part of the, this movie. I've loved it every time I watch it when he does that. It's fantastic. It's probably one of the most emotional parts of the movie for me, believe it or not. Yeah. Because yeah. it's just so good. And um, when the movie is doing that, I feel like it really shines. When the movie isn't doing that, it kind of sucks. So like the Michael Caine monologue that you were talking about, for example, I thought was awful. I was just like, it was like interminably bad. I'm just like... Not only is it dumb to sit here listening to this guy talk about this stuff, but also it it makes the movie worse because it goes from a feeling of of sort of intuiting who this character is from things that we've heard like we might really do in real life if we were along for this ride. If we were just like the midwife or somebody who's there, it goes from feeling like that to feeling like a bad novel. Where like, you know, I think we were talking about this the other day, the like the infamous there's a uh, encyclopedia entry that someone brings up in the context of the novel. And then there's this thing about the world. And and those are just awful. Right. Um, and I hated every second of every one of those things in the movie. And there's like three or four. There's that one. There's one when the, the, where, the, where the midwife... When she explains what happened, I hate that. It makes I mean, the movie I, feel I, like I you inserted a shitty movie into my good movie and I really, it really upset me. Well, part of that I liked, like I, it makes sense that she might be like, I was, I was, you know, she's sitting in a school and there's no kids and she'd be thinking about this. So like the fact that she would recount her experience to him makes sense. But then she goes on to say like, it's more like stating like, oh, what happens in a world without children's laughter? It's so like, bad. That's like the first part of that conversation I have no problem with. But I totally see what you're saying in the second part where it feels like she's talking to the audience now instead of Theo. Because like Theo doesn't know what she experienced. So it makes sense she would share that. It makes sense she'd be thinking about that. Um, but but the, they wouldn't be but, sharing it in that way either. It's not somebody sitting behind you in a chair who goes on a long monologue, right? The way it would happen is like she'd walk up to the window and be, be like... You know, like, I can't believe there used to be children playing around all the time. Like, I think I've forgotten. Or so, like, she would say it in the way a human would say it, right? Not in the way that a novel starts talking randomly outside mm-hmm. of a character, like, in just a general way. And, like, there's just a ton of that crap that gets inserted into this movie, and it's really sucky. It, it kind of right? has that thing we've talked about before where it's, like, sometimes the writer wants to tell you too much. Like, there's this temptation... That that the that a writer has, whether it's in a movie or a book or anything, that they want the 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 reader or the viewer to know more information about the world, um, because the writer has it in their head and they want to share it. But it's like sometimes it's just for the writer to know, you know, like the the viewer doesn't have to know. Well, this is like you to me. This is good Star Wars versus bad Star Wars. Is like all you need to know about how this stuff works, right? It's like. You take a look at good Star Wars and it's like, who are the bad guys? They are the Empire. It's like, oh, really? Like, tell me more about the managerial structure and political origins of the Empire. That's bad Star mm-hmm. Wars. It's like, no, the, we, we don't need to know that. There's these people with big ships who go around blowing stuff up. That is all this story needed 
We don't need, it's not a political drama, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so this one, it, it, it goes, it veers into bad Star Wars territory too much, which is depressing for a movie that's good Star Wars most of the time. Well, that's, that's the right? thing that's frustrating and weird about it is that for, for I would say, the, the majority of the movie, yeah. they do a really excellent job at not needing any of that stuff. Exactly. So it's, it's weird that they sometimes feel like they need to do it. Because, and if you just cut those, like yeah. literally just cut out those speeches, the movie is 10 times better because me only vaguely knowing the background of this world and these characters is 10 times better than me explicitly knowing the background of these uh, these world and these characters for two reasons. One, it doesn't matter the movie at all. It does not matter why their child died. I don't need to know that their child died of the Spanish flu. That is zero in- information content in terms of what this person's life or decisions are like now. I have all the context I actually need for that. You're just throwing exposition at me for no reason, right? But the other part of it is that all you do is risky making it flimsier. Because, you you know, if you leave things unexplained, I can imagine anything that's consistent with what you've shown. If you start explaining all these things, suddenly there could be mistakes. There could be things that don't quite feel right anymore because you gave me all this backstory and then when I try to project it forwards, I'm like, oh, that doesn't really line up with some of the things I'm seeing. So it's like, it's strictly a liability. It's boring to watch. It doesn't really add any information to the story. And the only thing that you're really doing is creating a liability. So I just wish they would stop doing that kind of shit. Uh, Fortunately, like I said, it's like three or four times in the movie. So like if you just close your ears for those few scenes, you can get through them fairly quickly, right? Yeah, there's not a lot of it. Um, like the Jasper character, they have a tendency for him to do some stuff like that. Although, yeah, he's kind of an exposition dump character. I don't necessarily mind it in some cases. They try to do it in a fairly natural way, like that this guy would actually be talking about. And I think sometimes it succeeds. Like, to be honest, in the conversation that Theo's overhearing with him talking to Key and the midwife, that feels actually like a fairly natural conversation they would be having. Because obviously, like, He's going to be, she's wondering about it. This, you know, Jasper knows Theo, his backstory, and knows what happened to him. It makes sense that they would be talking about this. She's about to have a child. Like, so for me, that that one actually felt fairly natural. It felt that like a conversation like they might actually be having. I agree. That one feels like it, it wasn't so out of context. And, it's just, and, and I just don't like it. Well, and Jasper's whole, like, he's sort of a hippie, weed-smoking dude. So the fact that he's going to be talking about you know, the whole chance versus hope thing. Like, that sounds like the sort of thing that a hippie dude would would say. It, it, like, for me, that one feels normal and natural. There's a, the, Earlier in the movie, like the first scene with him, he definitely does some, like, exposition dump stuff. Um, I don't think I mind it as much as you, but it does stand out. Like, it stands out because so much of the movie doesn't do it. Like, I can't quite remember. There was another one that was particularly annoying. I don't know if it was when he and Julian were talking originally, but there, there's a couple other times in the movie where both characters already have the information yeah. and they're talking about it anyway. And I'm like, this just sucks. There's a few moments where it is obvious that the characters are suddenly talking to the viewer yes. and not to each other. Thank and it's you. That's very, a great way to say it. It is very, very obvious in a few places. Yes. Absolutely. Um, so I guess what I would say about all that stuff is, that is really what makes this movie not A-list for me. It's kind of more of a B-list movie. It's like a really good, it's really good on my B-list. It never makes it into A-list for these reasons. It's like, it, it has these like hiccups that are annoying. I don't love the fact that the dude is in the war zone, like trying to be like uh super, you know, 
when he's at the end of the movie trying to like help save this baby. And like, it's almost like they tried to figure out how often they could give this guy a gun and him not take it, which was absurd. Like, it was so weird to me that that was constantly happening where like they would kill some guy with like a gun machine guns and grenade launchers sometimes they'd kill the guy who would have that and the guy would just be like well i don't need to take that with me and i'm like what is happening here like you are in the middle of a war zone you have all these people who are trying to kill you and you were just like i probably shouldn't pick up this loaded weapon right next to me for what reason i actually i pretty strongly disagree with that all right i you're just like you think the guy would just be like yeah i couldn't make use of that he has one thing in his mind which is trying to find key he's with her i'm just when i thought you made the part where he's trying to find he's trying to go get he kills sid with a cinder block and he's holding a loaded gun in his hand and he doesn't even pick it up he's running with key key just just went out the door with them and he's like trying to protect her and he doesn't even pick up the loaded handgun that sid is holding in his hand I don't know. I just I just feel like You know what I mean? It's weird. I don't know. I don't know. Because I mean, picking up a gun, like, that's not necessarily a natural thing for a lot of people. Like, I certainly don't think that I would do that in this situation. Like, I've never fired a gun before. I don't I don't know how it to I don't know how to use one. I don't I'm I'm frankly kind of scared of them. Like in the I it's not weird to me that even if you had a gun available to you, it is not a video game. It's, you know what I mean? It's like, it's not weird that somebody would choose not to pick up a gun, even when their life might be threatened. Like, I don't think that's weird. Yeah, all right. I mean, it's not it's, a video game. Like, yes, okay, in a video game, you just go pick up the gun. It's not a video game, though. Even if it isn't a video game, you would at least pick up the gun so that the other person doesn't have it anymore. Like, they beat Sid with a stick and leave him with the gun he later shoots them with. It's like... It's very weird. And maybe you can just say, well, these people are just too dumb to do that because they're in a situation that's stressful and they just aren't thinking. But it's like when you when literally you, he literally is in a scene where he and Sid are firing the gun together off into the thing because they're wrestling with it. He doesn't even take it away from Sid. Then it's so well, weird. Doesn't it, doesn't it run out of bullets? Did you see the guy's outfit? He has bullets running down his jacket. I mean, like, even I noticed that, and I'm not there. Okay. What the hell do you think the guy doesn't have a spare mag? I mean, come on. Like, this is like got to be the most stressful situation that these characters have ever experienced. Like, people aren't necessarily thinking like logically in those situations, or like, I need to take the gun. They're probably just thinking, I need to get away from this as fast as I can. Like, it's not to me. That's like totally a normal human behavior. I don't think that's weird. I do think it's extremely weird. And especially in that scene, I think it's extraordinarily weird. And the reason I think that is because I agree that it is weird to like the scene was weird. The fact that this person who maybe isn't really trained in any particular way, maybe we could believe that Theo was trained, but either he's trained or he's not. You have to pick one. Either he was trained in how to handle firearms or how to do self-defense because of his activism days. Maybe he got some guerrilla training or who knows what, or you believe he's untrained. Just a civilian doesn't really know what a gun is, can't load one, doesn't know how that works, right? Whichever one you pick, the scene doesn't make any sense. He wrestles with Sid and very successfully keeps the gun pointed. He's focused on the gun. The only thing he's thinking about is that gun and he keeps the gun pointed away from the child and himself. And they fire it till it runs out of ammo, right? 
Suddenly, although his entire brain was doing nothing but thinking about this gun, as soon as the lady hits him with the club, he forgets the gun even existed, even though his whole world, just a few moments ago, was focused on that gun. How do you not at least take it out of the person's hand? All you were trying to do for the past minute was avoid this gun creating a problem for you, and suddenly you just forget about it like that. It is not plausible. Either this person is totally panicked and totally focused on the gun, and that's why he was doing what he's doing, in which case he immediately takes it, or he just doesn't know what he's doing. And in that case, that scene goes differently. He isn't able he he wouldn't have had the presence of mind to somehow like wrestle this guy and keep the gun pointed in the wrong direction. He would never know how to do that. You would just run and get shot, is basically what would happen. So I think fundamentally the writing of that scene, it just doesn't work. Like a lot of those don't work because he has such he has such presence of mind to do certain things. And then all of a sudden, obvious things like, hey, that gun is a problem. You should take it away from this guy seem to just suddenly fall apart. Right. And it doesn't make sense. It's, I, yeah, I just don't really agree. Like, not, I didn't even think about any of that. Like, I, that, that didn't yeah. stand out to me while watching the movie. Movie club. Weigh in. It's easy to think. If this were a video game, and I feel like this disconnected way from it, what I would do, but I don't know. It, like I, it, I certainly think it felt like a plausible series of events in a in a stressful, scary, chaotic situation. I don't think there's there's necessarily like any way to predict how any one individual would act in a situation like that. And I think what happened was plausible to me. I, I it felt fine. Yeah. I don't know. I can't get get there, Just especially because, it's because not the way that you would have chosen to act doesn't mean it's not a plausible way for a character to act. I don't know. I it just like it, it was not yeah. a problem for me. I was frustrated through a lot of those scenes. I'm just like, dude, come on now. Anyway, so stuff like that was annoying. Um, but mostly it's okay. Like, there's a couple of things like that. Like, I have no idea why the car starts. The car is rolling down a hill, and somehow that doesn't start the car. But then, like. Later, when they're not really even moving the car, it just sort of starts. And I don't understand why. It's just kind of like seems wicked convenient. Like, oh, the car starts when the movie wants it. Like, it's the pitch meeting guy. It's like, well, why does the car start now? I was like, so the movie can happen. And you're like, oh, okay. So there's some things like that that are annoying too. Like the gun thing was annoying. The car thing was annoying. There's there's a, a couple of those kind of like annoying things that happen uh, that kind of just like are frustrating to me. Uh, and But, you know, otherwise it's fine on the action front. So anyway, that stuff a little bit janky, maybe. Um, I assume, like, I guess I don't know, but I assume the way that they found Jasper's house was because Julian had told them about it before she died or something. I have no idea how they found Jasper's house. Most of the things in the movie, I thought they did a good job of, like, keeping the plot working fairly well. So, like, for example, the you're like, how the hell did they get into the refugee camp? It's like, well, there's like this bombing that happens so that, you know, they could sneak in or whatever. So, you know how they got there, you know, and, they you, know, would, and you know how they know that they're going to probably, you be know, there. they're going to the boat thing. So, so they have a reasonable suspicion that that they need to go wait by exits, the exit to wherever you would go with the boat. Well, and we know right? Jasper lives near um, that Bex Hill camp. So they would have thought, OK, well, they're going here. To right. go to the camp to meet the—that's the most obvious place. Uh, like for it, them to it's go. totally logical that they would have they would have real. Like I mean, it's it's yeah. makes a lot of sense. That's what most people would have chosen to do if they had to get to the boat. Yes. So like that stuff seemed pretty good. The part where they show up at Jasper's house, I just don't actually know how. Like I can sort of believe that there was a reason they would know that information, 
but I, but it's as far as what is shown in the movie, I just don't know how they. It's knew never that. explained in the movie how they because how nobody they find knows him. where that is. There's no obvious signs of it. It's hidden from the road. They weren't following the car because they show up like massively after that, and there was no one on the road at that time. So it's like, how did they know about that? And the only thing I could think of is that somehow Julian told them like a long time ago before she was shot or something, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense because why would she, I don't even know that she would think to tell them that because, and if you told them that, why would you tell them how to get there? Mm-hmm. You would might've said he has a friend who lives out in the woods somewhere, but you wouldn't be like, you go to this road and you open this like thing, you look for the clear place where there's trees sort of on the side. I mean, they're at the literal place that you would never see from the road as you're passing by. So I felt like that was an issue. Like, I mean, I don't know. I I feel like there's a, that is not great. Like there, there needed to be a little bit more explanation so that the audience can know how the hell that happened. I'm sort of willing to believe it could have happened, but I don't know how, and I I can't figure it out. I think I'm willing to believe that they were like, Okay, what information do we have we learned from Julian about Theo and, about their what? past? And it's like, okay, well, we know that they knew this guy who lives out toward the camp. Maybe they stopped there, and like maybe but they how were they some, find how it? we're able to find. Yeah, because it's like hidden. The entrance is a bit hidden. Yeah, I mean, like I, I guess it's it's not it's not like I'm sure there are ways they could have found that because they did yeah. have that connection through Julian, who obviously also knew Jasper quite well because he, he Jasper knew knew them during that time when they were together and had a son. So it's like, makes perfect sense that they would have been able to find out about Jasper through Julian somehow, and then maybe sort of find his location somehow. Like, I don't think it's implausible really, but it's, it, it is a little weird that the movie doesn't make any effort to like even drop a hint. Like maybe when he's in so the what, farmhouse before he could have said something. Here's what like, I would have yeah. done. What I would have done is because it totally solves the problem and it, it, it adds more reason why another kind of stupid thing that happens, which is them sitting there watching when Jasper gets shot, which doesn't make any sense. You would just be, you would not be waiting around to find that out. I mean, that's just kind of ridiculous. But since you already did that, I would have had Jasper come out and say like, oh, what's his face? Recognize the guy, uh, uh, Chiwetel Elijahfor, that character. That way, if he recognizes him and is like, oh, Bob, I can't remember the guy's name, but Bob, how's it going? What are you doing here? Then you would go, oh, Julian and him came here some at some point. They visited. That's why he thought of it, right? Because they, because, you know, he and Julian are obviously tight. They were running this resistance movement. Then you would just go, oh, they went here together. He then thought maybe this guy went there because I remember seeing his pictures there and I can piece the rest of that together in my head. But when Jasper comes out, it's like none of them know each other. So none of these people who are all the only people who we know about who could possibly have ever been here before, apparently none of them have been here before, right? And so that's really weird. So that's how I would have fixed it. They chose not to do that. So I don't really know. I don't know what they were thinking or if they were thinking it. Anything, I mean, I think but... part of the issue, too, and like the thing you were saying were like, it doesn't make sense they would have stopped to watch um, Jasper be shot. I think like one of the things I think I I like about this movie is that it tells the perspective of Theo. Like, it is it is following him. We never see anything happen that isn't from his perspective. So we're never cutting to characters who are elsewhere, right? We it's do see, always... like, external shots, but they're of him. Yeah, like, exactly. we do see, like, a shot from far away well, looking yeah, yeah, at it's, him, it's, but it's... we don't ever see any situation that he's not proximate exactly. to. Exactly. The story follows Theo 
we're never going to be able to see a scene where the rebels are like doing the thing to figure out where Theo is staying because we don't know what they're experiencing. We only know what Theo's experiencing. And so in some ways I'm like, it's fine to me to not really know how they found him because if you were being chased by someone and thought you were safe and it turns out they found you, it'd feel similarly, right? You'd be like, how did they find me? And so I think I don't really mind it because like we talked about, there are There are some plausible ways we can imagine that they would have figured this out. Again, I just wish, like, if you're going to do one of these, just dig into the writing a little bit more, right? Like, do do the couple things I would have just fixed. I would have patched it up, right? I would have gone, okay, first of all, no, there isn't magically a back entrance to this place that we've never seen before that just conveniently happens to be there now. Instead, what I would have done is like, "Oh, oh, shit, they're blocking the entrance. The only way to get out of here is there. What are we going to do? It's like, all right, here's what we do. We, quick, we move the car into the back. We cover it up, right? We quickly brush over the tracks, right? Pour some, put some leaves on them. When they get here, I'll tell them you already left, right? That way, there's a reason why Theo is there. He's hiding with them behind the car. They see him get shot, but it's successful. And they go out the main entrance and leave thinking that he's already headed to the camp, right? That way, there's a reason why they're there. There isn't a magical back entrance. There's a reason they see Jasper getting shot, right? And when you're doing that, have it so they recognize him. That fixes all the story problems, right, with a small patch to the scene. I just, like, just do it, guys. Well, just I think fix the, the, the thing, only thing that, right? that doesn't... I think the only thing that I think that kind of makes worse is the fact that if you know that the Rebels and Jasper know each other, then you know it's obvious that the Rebels will come here looking for Theo and Key... And so this place no longer feels safe. It doesn't. It's not. It doesn't make sense that they would hang around here. But, but you don't know that till after. But Jasper would know. Like they, Jasper would be like, "Oh man, they're gonna they're gonna know to come looking for you here. You have to move. Like you have to go." So I, I feel like that doesn't that doesn't make a lot of sense. Does he tell them this? I don't remember him ever saying what happened. Maybe he did. Does does what's does does Clive Owen's character explain that these were Julian's rebel people? I don't remember him ever saying that. Well, he just knows that they have to get to the the uh, the human project or whatever. I never heard him say any of that. I mean, maybe it's implied but, that I mean, he would have. He seems to know that they're when like when the alarm goes off in the morning, he's not like, "What's going on?" You know what I mean? It's like they've obviously talked about it. I don't know. I'm just saying it's very possible that he doesn't know that that guy, that those are the same people, right? Because why would he know that? He doesn't know who these rebels are. He's never met them, right? He just saw this one guy who came here with Julian one time. It's like, oh shit, that's the guy, right? Like, so I don't know. But I don't know. I, I don't know. I, d- I don't think that, I don't think that's the right answer. But either way, whatever, I, you know, these are, these are kind of nitpicks. I mean, I guess I would mind. say that that same thing then if that's, what we're going with, then it doesn't make sense why he doesn't think that immediately anyway. Because if he's like, look, Julian used to come here. She she knows how to get here. And she probably told them. Nobody thinks of that either. So it, it I don't know. Either, either they think there's some way that this information could have gotten to the rebels or they don't. But it's a little bit weird to think that somehow they both do and don't know that, which is what the story currently wants me to believe, right? I don't know. 
Um, I don't know. So this to me feels like nitpicking. Like to me, this is not that important at the end of the day for this movie, for the experience of this movie. I mean, I think these things seem to matter more for you than they do for me. Well, it's because when people show up at a random location, all of a sudden that kind of breaks the immersion of the story. How did they get there? And this movie does a nice job of not having that happen, right? Like most of the time we have some reason to believe that these people could be in this location for a reason. Like there's a good reason for it, right? Uh, and so you don't really break the immersion. You're just like, oh, why are those people here? Like, at the, for example, if the information hadn't been shared that they were supposed to be getting to this buoy or whatever, it would really suck that the bad guys show up at the end, literally when they're at the like final location of the movie, right? Well, and if you hadn't said that there was an explosion in the wall and like... Yeah, you know. I mean, it would be horrible, right? And so... I, I don't know. You're calling it a nitpick, but I think it's crucial. I, if you didn't do that, this movie would be a lot worse. And what I'm saying is there is a part in this movie where they don't do that. And I think it makes the movie a lot worse because you're like, wait, what? How the hell did these guys get here? Right. Um, and not only that, but it's an unnecessary thing. It's just the only thing that happens because of that is Jasper gets shot. That's it. It doesn't change the rest of the plot. If they hadn't shown up, everything else in the movie would have happened exactly the same way. Right. So it's just to kill Jasper is the only reason we do it. And so right, it's like we're going to have to leave anyway. We have to get to the buoy, so I we're mean, not going to stay. It, it gives the movie some momentum, right? Yeah. Like you want to have those lulls, and then the the tension of being chased, and then the lulls, right? Like it gives you that momentum. But um, yeah, I mean, so it's an issue to me. I don't think it's a nitpick. I think it's an issue in a mo- in a movie that was not based on a ton of random coincidences. I think it's a problem. Right. I don't think it's a nitpick. All right. Well, in any case, I mean, for me, this movie is like I have it's overwhelmingly positive for me like I I really really like this movie um I've seen it many many times and I always enjoy it it's pretty high up on my list of like favorite movies I would say I like the farmhouse scene a lot where the uh where it's revealed that the people on the bikes were actually conspirators Mm -hmm. uh that all felt really natural and it's shot really well where he kind of like hears this sound and he goes down Mm -hmm. to check it out and it's like the guy on the bike who tried to shoot him and shot Julian coming back because because of what he did with the door. He basically killed the other guy yeah, yeah. who was on the motorcycle. And uh, Chuata Elijah for is like, oh, like you broke protocol and like you're really lucky I'm not going to kill you. So you're, you know he wasn't supposed to come back there and that what's his face is furious and is worried that someone's going to find out about it, mm-hmm. right? All of that feels really natural and good. And like... It just plays out really well, and it's shot really interestingly yeah. in a really tense way. Uh, I loved all of that stuff. I think in, we talked about, I think with Birdman, we talked about how the Warner thing was, like, well done, but well, not yeah, not yeah. really necessary. And in this movie, I would say, is the opposite, where it's like the Warners in this movie are super, super effective. Yes. Um, it makes sense why they're Warners, and the fact that they're Warners makes the movie so much better. Yes, I would totally agree with that. Is this an Inaritu versus Quaron? Are you basically setting up a like a like a fight here? Because they are often mentioned in the same breath, right? Yeah. And like here, basically, what you're—I mean, you're basically throwing it down. You're saying that Quaron knows how to use the oneer, and Inaritu doesn't. Look, I mean, I think I think oneers are when done well are really cool. Like in Birdman, they were cool, they were fun, but they but this movie it understands why the oneer is effective. Yes, and. Uh, and with the handheld, I think the handheld camera feel actually helps a lot with that, that feeling of like we are experiencing time unbroken 
as it happens to this character. And uh, it's so, so well done. The choreography of the scenes. Must have taken a long time to get these shots. I mean, you can, it's I, probably very expensive to do these. Everybody always talks about like the, the, the scene in the car and the bike right. and, and all that in particular. And like you can watch the, the way in which they, sh- they did that. They had this yeah. whole rig with the car. It was crazy. I mean, it's crazy. Um, the amount of work and effort yes. uh, put it's into difficult. trying to get those um, and then when you watch it, it's just seamless. It's just, you don't even think about it when you're watching it. I would say it's that it's extremely in, immersive. In that way, it, it feels like a similar to a Spielberg oneer in that you don't, it's not a look at me, I'm doing this all yes. in one shot. It's just something that happens in the movie that feels exactly right and does exactly what it needs to do and draws no attention to itself. Mm-hmm. If you just watch Children of Men, you're not sitting around thinking, oh my God, they got that all in one take. Whereas Birdman feels it very much like, look at me, I can make exactly. a winner. And it's exactly. like, I don't care that you can make a winner. Yeah. Like, like, it doesn't matter to me that you can do it. It well, only like, matters if for some reason this actually does something. And and I do think, like, that's why I'd say, like, it fe- the Quaron winner feels like a Spielberg winner. You don't know it's there, but it's doing its job exactly as it's supposed to do. There was a reason for it, and they didn't... It wasn't a waste of time. It wasn't just a, a parlor trick. It was like... This movie is better because this was one shot. Exactly. Yeah, that whole scene at the end, it's like 10, over 10 minutes of, of I mean, it's not actually a one right? It's broken right. up. But from the perspective of the viewer, it is a one that whole last 10 minutes. Yeah. And um, it's absolutely remarkable. And uh, and the, like you say, it's it's something you wouldn't even necessarily notice. Um, I but would, it, it, could, could we add 1914, 19... 1914. 1916, 19... What was the name of the movie that was just the, the a one World wonder. War I movie. World War I It was 19-something. It, there's only... That war was four years, so... Uh, it's 19- in there somewhere. 1917? 1917? 1917. 1917. So, 1917. Can we add 1917 to the mix here? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I I also feel like that was another movie where I think we were more split on it, but in general, I was like, the fact that this was a one didn't really add that much to me. Like, I understand why they thought mm-hmm. that doing it as a one might add something to it, but in practice, had there been cuts, it would not have changed the experience for me at all. Mm-hmm. Certainly some of a few of the scenes probably are well served by them being one or having one in them. But much like Birdman, the idea that the whole thing was a winner, just a parlor trick. It just does not matter. It doesn't make the story stronger. There wasn't a real reason for it. Uh, and in terms of like making the experience work for me, for whatever reason. Yeah. 1917 is at least has a more plausible artistic reason to do it than Birdman did. I mean, they're like, look, we were trying to make it feel like this one day, right? And so like, okay, I get what you're trying to do. Didn't work but to, for me, but like I get it. Whereas Birdman was like, I don't even know what you were trying to do. I don't even know why. I don't even know why you thought this should be a winner. I have, I have no perspective on that whatsoever. In your head, it must have made sense. In mine, it makes none. But I would say all of these, you look at then something like Children and Men, and you're like, okay, this is how. This is why you do it. He's getting all of the benefits from it, and it it makes perfect sense why he would have spent so much time doing these takes over and over again because it's like yeah it works it makes this this scene probably would have been a lot less dramatic if you hadn't done that yep right no absolutely it's it's 
probably the best case, the best example of effective oners in film, like in any, any movie. Yeah, that I'm aware. Of. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like it's one of those ones where you're like, yeah, if you took if you took the oners and split them up into edits, this movie feels worse. Yep. Just straight out, straight across the board. That's just it's not good. It's not yep. as good. So anyway, uh, Children of Men. I I really love this movie. It's great. Yeah, I think it's a really good movie. I, I'm not quite as I'm not quite as thumbs up on it as you are, but I, I like a lot of I like a lot of things about it. Definitely a recommended watch for me. Definitely oh, a yeah. good film. Uh, and like you said, it's one of the most effective bleak future movies in terms of that. Because like, can I relate to uh, Akita very much? Not really. I, I have no idea. Like, that's a very interesting world. I would love to experience what that was like. But it doesn't feel like my world to me. Metropolis, nothing. I can't mm-hmm. put myself in that. It's so abstract, mm-hmm. right? At some level, I can't see myself stepping out my door tomorrow morning and ending up in Metropolis. Mad Max Fury Road, same thing. Children of Men, 10 years from now, and I step out in the world is like that. Yeah, I can see it. And that's what I makes have no it, trouble seeing that's that. That's what makes it so frightening. That's what makes it so much more frightening than the other films yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, because it feels like possible very possible uh, and that's terrifying yeah (laughs) so it it is it is sort of the it's the pinnacle in our bleak future month of plausibly showing you a bleak future that could be your future right in in the in the uh christmas carol ghosts of christmas future vein Mm -hmm. like this is a plausible scrooge this is what happens to you for humanity whereas the other ones aren't really like they're kind of more just like yeah this is some far future that definitely won't happen like this like like they're fantasy if, they're more if fantasy, there yeah. is a future that happens like that it won't actually be like that one it's going to be something else it's so it's way too far extrapolated whereas children of men very plausible yeah um i think it's like it's sort of the perfect bleak future movie yeah um we have one more week left in this month and uh and the movie was is uh undetermined or it was but casey has picked something i did i picked it because we it was going to be casey and anna pick and i suggested that because we on the movie club had actually discovered halloween for the first time we had never seen until the movie club john carpenter's classic uh easily seminal would be the word to put here slasher film halloween and we were both, I think, very surprised at how good that movie was. We both really liked it. I think we were both expecting something a lot worse. And actually, that movie is really good. It's fantastic. And it was obvious why it spawned a genre, basically, is because, like, wow, did he nail it. And so, um, although I've seen a couple John Carpenter pictures, I haven't seen some of his classics, some ones that are very well regarded. Uh, and so I was thinking for bleak future could we watch escape from new york which i've never seen and neither have i and so that's what we're going to be watching next week because i believe because of the few things i know about the film that it is a bleak future so anyway we'll be back next week for the final week of bleak future month with escape from new york and we will see you there take it easy everybody bye